This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. So excited about this conversation. Y'all know this is a passionate area of, of information and insight for me, and I'm so excited about our guest, Professor Tanya Cateri Hernandez. Uh, she is the Archibald R. Murray Professor of Law at Fordham University School of Law, where she teaches anti-discrimination law, comparative employment discrimination, critical race theory. I keep telling y'all it's a legal theory. The science of implicit bias and the law, new pathways to social justice and trust and will. She received her AB from Brown, her JD from Yale, uh, and she is an amazing uh, author and speaker, and I'm so glad to have her here today. Professor Cateri Hernandez, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Your book, uh, Racial Innocence, Unmasking Latino Anti-Black Bias and the Struggle for Equality, uh, this topic hits a personal chord for me, and I'd like to start by uh, you just talking with us a bit about what drove you to this particular topic. We, we don't see anti-black bias being heavily discussed, and I say we being non-Latinos. Uh, we don't see it being heavily discussed from within the Latino community, so talk with us about the motivation behind this book. Well, you know, it was twofold. Uh, one, my professional uh, engagement is always on issues of discrimination, equality, uh, grassroots organizing for social justice. But my personal life is as an Afro-Latina growing up within the Latino community. And I started to see these two things converge <laughs> uh, when in doing my just generic research on anti-discrimination law, I started to see a disturbing trend. And the disturbing trend was seeing all the excuses for anti-black bias that I'd heard as a young person in the Latino community, we are not biased, we are not discriminatory, we're racially mixed, mm -hmm. discrimination is a U.S., North American thing, we don't do that in Latin America. To see those kind of excuses being put in anti-discrimination law cases and seeing judges and juries sort of drinking the Kool-Aid and buying mm. into those excuses. Um, it was sort of a disturbing convergence of both the personal and the professional, and I thought it warranted sort of greater examination. Wow. And, you know, I, I've seen how these conversations can take part. I remember my first, one of my most powerful Africana studies classes at, at Penn State was looking at the role of race in Latin America. And that's when I learned that the vast majority, and I mean, Professor, like the vast majority of enslaved Africans who were trafficked, they never even made it to the United States. They were being trafficked into Spanish, Portuguese, uh, and other colonies. Uh, and, and so it always seemed funny to me that one of the most significant portions statistically of the Pan-African diaspora, habla espanol, but we don't even necessarily make those connections within the Pan-African diaspora, that that is the reality. How do you explain that, that disconnect, that lack of historic understanding and framing around these issues? Well, I mean, I think that happens because of two dynamics. One, in the United States, the very little <laughs> racial literacy that we have, you know, it's, uh, once upon a time, there was uh, the slavery, and it all happened here <laughs> in the United States, and it was a terrible thing, which we all agree, right? Uh, then there was a civil war, and then we handled that situation, uh, mm. and then end of story. <laughs> mm. um, there's 1619 Project and so many other um, endeavors that are trying to rectify that, but that has long been, right, the way we teach the right. history of slavery in the United States. Uh, and then the second angle is that within Latin America itself, 
there's been even a more circumscribed uh, history. It's like once upon a time we used to have black people when there was slavery, but then we, um, uh, you know, emancipated and uh, abolished slavery, and that's the end of the story. And then there were no more black people because we racially mixed because we're so much more enlightened than the United mm. States. Uh, and so in Latin America, there are no black people. Um, and that convergence there, again, that sort of convergence, right? That sort of bringing together both the racial illiteracy of Latin America with the racial sort of circumscribed literacy within the United States has left sort of invisibility of the 60 to 90 percent right, of the mm. African slaves that were forcibly brought to you, the Americas, uh, right. and who survived, who even survived the Middle Passage, being disproportionately brought to Latin America and the Caribbean. Wow. So, so talk with us, those of us who, who perhaps don't know or haven't seen it up close, how does racism or anti-Black bias manifest within Latin American communities? Well, I mean, we have it in the home, right, so that there's always the Black one, of a family mm. and the black one of the family is the one that is sort of targeted for the teasing about their dark skin, mm. their tightly coiled African curls, um, the, the thickness of their lips, the, the width of their nose. All of these are targets uh, for so-called loving teasing, but never letting you forget right, that you're the black one and thus mm. the less desirable member as far as the beauty aesthetic is concerned, but also with regards to sort of presumptions of intelligence and competence, that, that those are reserved for the Latin members of the family. So it starts there. Like mm. We learn the code early, right? you know, that whiteness and lightness. Uh, these are things that are preferred. Wow. But then it translates into material consequences. Right? Latinos who are homeowners don't rent right? <laughs> to Black people, Afro-Latino and wow. African-American alike. Wow. Uh, so this crosses ethnicities, the anti-blackness oh, yes. uh, within Latino communities. Um, it's also when Latinos are employers and supervisors. You know, who gets hired? Who gets fired? Who gets pay raises? This has been along a long color spectrum. Right? Uh, when Latinos are in charge of public spaces of entertainment, what we call public accommodations in the legal field restaurant owners, rent managers, club uh, entrepreneurs, mm. right? all these public spaces that you think if you pay the right amount, you get to access. No, 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 no. Mm. It's a velvet rope about who gets in and who gets out. Uh, and that, too, even if it's a Denny's, <laughs> um, when they're managed by Latinos, are places in which racial exclusion happens. So I mean, the short story is anti-blackness happens the same way across <laughs> communities, right? Um, but it doesn't get talked about when it's happening in these, with the segregation within segregation, right? So that there's right. the segregation we all know about white versus black. And then within that, there's a seg segregation within other communities of color that are enforcing the same kind of uh, racial hierarchies. Mm. Well, you you took you stole my thunder there. I was going to say it sounds exactly like what happens right here on this side of the border. Uh, and I, I think that may be because anti-blackness is international, guys. We talk about this a lot, that this is an international effort because white nationalism, colonization, uh, enslavement, these were all uh, an international uh, part of that effort as well. And so, you know, Professor, when we think about how this shows up 
in within the context of the America that people think of when they say the word America, the United States of America. We had a really public situation uh, coming out of Los Angeles uh, just a couple of weeks ago where uh, council members uh, from the Latino community were caught on tape engaging in a political assessment of redistricting, which we all know on this show is the uh, ability to carve maps that determine what the strength of your political power is going to be in many ways. Gerrymandering is the the bad form of that. Uh, But we heard Latino council members on that call uh, basically speaking in very disparaging terms, talking not just negatively about black uh, Los Angelinos, but also Oaxacans and other people who show up more deeply brown skin. So there's the racism. There's also the colorism. Uh, I remember my husband had two students in his class when he was teaching in high school and they were twins uh, and one was light and one was dark and they had a completely twins mind you completely different experience to your point within the home within the community one was treated as though they had everything going for them they were going to go off to college and be brilliant and the other was treated as though they were going to be uh, the family thug and so that that certainly everything you said there certainly uh, played out in that in that regard but when it comes to political power when it comes to thinking about how we are or should be able to organize should be able able to collaborate, should be able to have uh, an understanding that there are so many similarities between what we are dealing with that we should be working together. Something like that comes along and it just creates a real rift uh, in our ability to to continue having conversations about collaboration and cross-ethnic organizing towards mutually desired outcomes. What were your thoughts when you heard about that situation? And and what would you just say to uh, members of the Latino community who were similarly dismayed and want to be able to have this cross cultural collaborative space for our all benefit uh what would you say to them in terms of having an an honest conversation about the role of anti-blackness within the latino community well a few things you know first that we not treat it as if it were an isolated incident uh, that was peculiar just to some problematic individual Mm. Um, because when you limit the view of what happened in such a narrow way you're completely Uh, disowning any responsibility for addressing it within the Latino community at large. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the, the use of language and equating blackness with uh, monkeys and animals, right? That is not some one-off invented on the spot Mm -hmm. framing, right? Mm -hmm. That is deeply entrenched within Latino communities, right? So you refer to black people um, by using animal references, um, and in particular monkeys, unfortunately, Wow. Uh, similarly with, you know, the context that people might try to like say, oh, well, this is just about politics. You know, politics can be crude and politic, uh, you know, situations over gerrymandering are, you know, not when you see people in their best light. OK, sure. But that doesn't mean it also wasn't about anti-blackness. You could mm. have um, uh, turf disputes <laughs> about, you know, political grabs right. um, that don't have to devolve into anti-blackness and certainly you know ch- children were targeted for the anti-black the black statements um on part of the la city council as well That's uh, right. so you know those would be some cautionary uh words that i would have you know for the latino community of sort of as a way to move forward right you know one it's about all of us it's not just about some of us uh it's not about us as individuals it's about us systemically that you know Culture includes cultural racial attitudes, not just what you mm. eat, what you music you listen to and music you dance to. Right. If you're going to say that there's culture, if you can agree that there's something real to that, well, then you also have to own that part of culture. So also, also racial attitudes. 
And just like culture is ever evolving, so can the cultural attitudes and the actions people take based on them. Right. This is not just about, oh, I don't want to date so-and-so because I don't think they're cute or what have you. Right. Mm. Um, This is like me. It's not just about colorism. This is is one way I would put this. Um, It's about the material consequences of racial bias and discrimination that finds itself systemically um, within the workplace and, you know, the housing market and so on and so forth. Mm. You know, I I remember when I lived in the Dominican Republic and we had this brother who came to to fix our pipes and, you know, he was asking all of us where we were from, my roommates and I. And, you know, we told them, you know, and, uh, you know, they got to me and said, oh, yes, and she's black American and her name is because we were sort of identifying where in the world we were from. And he looks at me, he's like, you're not black. And I was like, no, brother, I'm black. Kind of like I'm Afro-American, like you are Afro-Dominican. Now, since I had already been here long enough in the country, I knew this was going to be traumatic territory, but I was not prepared for what happened. And this is a brother who had skin complexion similar to Shaquille O'Neal, a hair texture, you know, kinky, coily texture. If he's walking down any street in Harlem, you think his name is Raheem. When I tell you this brother stood up and he says to me in Spanish, Basically the following, my skin may be black, but my son, my soul shines white like the sun. You compare me to any African and I'm as if an albino. And it was one of these moments I'll never forget. I mean, this is decades ago. I'll never forget it because he wasn't just refuting my, uh, my claiming of my own blackness. And I was much lighter skinned than he was. So that had a negative implication for him. He was also saying, I'm not black. I'm a good person. I could not be black and be good at the same time. And it was shocking to me that the internalization of anti-blackness with in the Afro-Latino segment of the Latino community is kind of on a on par with some of the worst that we've seen here in America. What would in the North the United States of America? What would you say to members of the Afro-Latino community who are grappling with this? We've we've seen as a result of census numbers that there are more people who are having conversations about what it means to be Afro-Latino. I've told many people that Black is an, a, a United States of American racial designation. It doesn't necessarily translate the same way into other spaces. What would you say to Afro-Latino? who are trying to navigate this conversation themselves, often without the, you know, as bad as things are here in the United States, at least we had James Brown, I'm black and I'm proud. You know what I mean? Like we had, we had a couple of things that were making it explicit. How would you advise folks who are navigating that personal journey? Well, you know, I think that while it's completely accurate, you know, what you describe as a dynamic, what is also existing but doesn't get the attention is that Afro-Latinos who do self-identify proudly and mm. clearly as black, you know, this mm. this idea of, oh, well, you know, these Afro-Latinos, they're, they're confused. They don't, like, understand blackness or what have you. Um, that's because the Latino news media doesn't want to put us on the front cover of the magazine right. um, or put us in the forefront of, you know, having conversation about what Latino uh, racial identity means. You know, that it is multiracial uh, and it goes across not only uh, different national origins, but also different racial identities. So, you know, we have Asian Latinos and indigenous Latinos right. and black Latinos as well. Right. Um, so, you know, we exist, but we don't get the public space um, mm. that the fair skinned uh, white ones do. Mm. Uh, so I just like to kind of always put that out there. The other thing I like to put out there, too, is that often this gets described as like, you know, Latinos are confused about race. And so the, 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 the dark ones don't even know they're black. The problem is that anti-blackness is so deep right, in Latin America that even the ones right, that, that, that are, as we would like to say in the United States, unambiguously black, mm. um, <laughs> it's not that they don't know they're black. It's that anti-blackness is so deep that it is viewed as an insult. So to acknowledge you as black is to insult you. 
to flatter and compliment you is to not use that label. Even though we see it, and so we know blackness. We yeah. know blackness so deeply, right, that we uh, ha- allocate, right, where it is appropriate and inappropriate right, uh, mm. to use the label, right, mm. because it's such a derogatory label. And, you know, so these two things are existing simultaneously. Um, wow. And so, you know, part of the reason why I, I also wrote this book, Racial Innocence, was because I wanted to give my Afro-Latino brothers and sisters uh, more tools, right? It's hard mm. to have these conversations as an isolated individual, right? Sure. Because then it's all about, well, you and your complex, and you were too Americanized. Uh, but there's always some reason why you're the problem uh, when you want to bring up these issues of anti-blackness within the Latino community mm. as an Afro-Latine. Um, whereas if you have an arsenal, right, the collection of other people's stories to show that this is a pattern, that it is a dynamic, mm. you're not arguing alone anymore. You're arguing in, a, in the collective, right? And it's in the uh, within the collective that there is power. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that's sort of what I, um, I'm hoping that the book uh, offers up. You know, I hope it offers up lots of different things to lots of different people, but in particular, for our Afro-Latina populations, I'm hoping that what it gives is this greater sense of a platform, a language, and a grammar for having these conversations. Mm, and it's so necessary. And I'm wondering if perhaps uh, Black Americans can benefit as well from recognizing that, okay, when an Afro-Latino person says, no, they're black, it's probably not a good idea to be like, you ain't black. Like, what do you mean you ain't black? (laughs) There there seems to be an almost a a mutual desire to have more Afro-Latinos identify while at the same time, sort of a, 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 no, 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 you're not one of us. Like we're, we're black in this way. You might be black, but in another way, what advice in just a minute or two that we have left, (laughs) what advice would you give to black Americans about expanding our understanding of what, the Pan-African diaspora is composed of. It seems if you only understand blackness as a black American thing, and then you encounter people who look like you but speak a different language but no understanding of that history, it it can cause a lot of cognitive dissonance as well, particularly when you see someone whose name should be Rahim and their name is Raul, and they should be speaking, yo, what up, what it do? And it's like, como, you know, que pasa? And so how can black Americans have a broader understanding of what blackness looks like so that our definitions don't require adherence to a very strict black United States of American understanding of the world. I mean, I think part of it is to be able to position the way in which we think of it as a loss as opposed to a gain. I mean, oh. I think part of the sort of intuitive to say, wait a minute, you can't claim blackness because blackness is something very special to me, right? Um, and the community that I grew up in, the language that I speak, et cetera. Because so often when white Americans say they have any interest in something black, right, that means they're trying to take from us, right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to reappropriate and commodify for their own purposes, and, and that money don't come back uh, to the community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so having greater racial literacy is one way to have this reframing of, you know, sometimes there's people who are saying that they are Afro, not because they're trying to take, right, but because they're trying to be part of the broader uplift, right? Mm. That, that there's so many of us across the diaspora coming together and seeing that, despite our di- language differences, our, despite our cultural differences, sometimes the political frame in which we find ourselves, you know, to be black in Cuba and dealing with socialism right. is a different kind of story. But right. it doesn't mean that anti-blackness is any less prevalent there or that they can't use our help too, right? So that mm. all of us coming together, as opposed to viewing not using it as a loss, but as a gain, I mean, I think would go a very long way. Wow. 
This and this is sort of the the point I, I've been saying. At the end of the day, we are way stronger as a diaspora than we are as factions thereof. Uh, so Lord knows we need to have a much. I, I love that you said that racial literacy. I've been really beginning to publicly advocate for a racial justice framework and an understanding of how we assess what is happening and as it pertains to to racial incidents, but also as it under as it pertains to our ability to navigate with a lot more sophistication uh, the barriers that are, are very arbitrarily erupted or erected, I should say, between all of us uh, that, quite frankly, are only serving to benefit those who have always benefited from our oppression. Uh, so I, I'm really looking forward to, to finishing this book. How can people get their hands on it uh, and, and begin their own personal journeys with figuring out more about the complexities of blackness in the Americas, plural? <laughs> well, I'm very pleased to say that it is available at uh, all your local uh, book or venues, um, and if you want to do it online and support your independent bookstore, you go to bookshop.org, and they connect right up to your local independent bookstore. But it's also on the Amazon, <laughs> Boys and Nobles, you know, whatever you find most convenient uh, for your shopping pleasure. Um, and if it, people want to hear me talk more about the book, uh, next uh, uh, December 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern, I will be at Harriet Books Instagram Live. Mm. independent bookshop in philly yeah. uh and so anyone but anybody can access it if they just go to harriabooks.com that is fantastic thank you so much professor i hope we can get you to come back i know you know after seeing the the fallout and conversation after wakanda and you know looking at i mean there there's so it, this is an area that is ripe for further discussion and i'm really glad that you put this scholarship into the universe so we can all benefit from it and i do hope we can call on you to come back to help us navigate this space uh, with a bit more expertise. We really have appreciated having you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, that would be delightful. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. 